watching us online tonight, wherever you're joining us from, we welcome you as a part of this service tonight. Give honor to our Bishop and Mother Wright tonight. Praise God. Amen. As most of you know by now, Bishop had a fall two weeks ago now, I think it was, uh, severely injured his Achilles tendon and a couple of other injuries, so continue to keep him in prayer that the Lord would touch him and strengthen him. Praise God. Amen. Well, I've just, I'm not looking for a response, I'm not fishing for your applause, I've just come I think in what is kind of typical fashion of who I am to just be me tonight. I understand the season that we're in. I understand what we are about to do next week. But just going to be me and give what I feel like God has given me. You can see the question already. We'll come back to the in a moment. As I was preparing for this evening... Those of you, how many of you use PC Study Bible? Anybody use a couple of you? Uh, there's a, other options and free options, but PC Study Bible, when you open it up, it's, the home page is Charles Spurgeon's devotionals, and uh, they post a morning and an evening devotional of his. He was a preacher, I think, 1800s, late 1800s in England. And this, this passage was a tied in with what I felt, and so I want to start with this tonight, and we will get more into the specifics of my title, but Ephesians 4.11 says this, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come into the, in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. If there has ever been a time in which this verse was relevant, I think 2016 this verse is relevant. Winds of doctrine, the slight of men, cunning craftiness, lying and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, and, and this underlined is the key phrase I draw your attention to in this reading, may grow up into Him in all things. All of this is being done so that you and I can grow up. Which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that, which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I, I love that verse. There's another verse similar to it in one of the other epistles. But you know what that says? If we get ourselves properly put in place, properly functioning the way God has called us to function, the automatic result of that is going to be growth. Won't have to manufacture it. Won't have to force it. 
won't have to program it. If we just get ourselves positioned where we belong as a body, every joint supplying what it's supposed to supply, the result is increase of the body. It's not my message tonight, but it's a really good point. May grow up unto him, into him in all things. Before you're seated, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, thank you for your presence. Your presence has been here so strongly tonight from the very beginning of this service. And I trust and believe, God, that you've already done some very significant things. God, I trust and believe that somebody has been healed tonight. Somebody's body has been set free from affliction that they have battled against, disease, sickness, and I thank you for that. And I pray, God, now that you would continue to minister. I'm asking you, God, to speak to us tonight. God, I do not want to take time, just fill up time in this service. I want to be a mouthpiece. I want to be a conduit that you can flow through, that you can speak through. I trust in you tonight. I depend on you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated if you would... Bear with me, I'd like to, and I, I think I have failed again. I'm, I really try each week to do a better job so that what I put up is readable, and I don't think I've succeeded much better tonight than I have in the past, so I, I do apologize. And again, as always, if you'd like the notes to be able to go back over it or see it better, I'm happy to share with you. He says this, Many Christians remain stunted and dwarfed in spiritual things, so as to present the same appearance year after year. I want you to think for a moment, and here I'm not, I don't mean this apologizing, I'm just telling you up front, we're going to be my normal, practical, real world self tonight. I want you to think for a moment, think back to last fall. Can you say, I don't care how long you've been here. I don't care if you just got here or if you are one of the pillars of the assembly. Are you different this year spiritually than you were last year? Hopefully in a better way. No upspringing of advanced and refined feeling is manifest in them. They exist, but they do not grow up in Him in all things. But should we rest content with being in the green blade when we might advance to the ear and eventually ripen into the full corn in the ear? Should we be satisfied to believe in Christ and to say, I am safe? Without wishing to know in our own experience, somebody say experience, more of the fullness which is to be found in Him. It should not be so. We should as good traders in heaven's market covet to be enriched in the knowledge of Jesus. It is all very well to keep other men's vineyards, but we must not neglect our own spiritual growth and ripening. That really ties into where I'm going. It is all very well to keep other men's vineyards, but we must not neglect our own spiritual growth and ripening. 
Why should it always be winter time in our hearts? We must have our seed time, it is true. But oh, for a springtime, yea, a summer season, which shall give promise of an early harvest. If we would ripen in grace, we must live near to Jesus in His presence, ripened by the sunshine of His smiles. We must hold sweet communion with Him. We must leave the distant view of His face and come near. We must leave the distant view of His face and come near as John did and pillow our head on His breast. Then shall we find ourselves advancing in holiness, in love, in faith, in hope, yea, in every precious gift. As the sun rises first on the on mountaintops and glids them with His light and presents one of the most charming sights to the eye of the traveler, so, it is, so is it one of the most delightful contemplations in the world to mark the glow of the Spirit's light on the head of some saint who has risen up in spiritual stature like Saul above his fellows till, my, till like a mighty Alp snow-capped he reflects first among the chosen the beams of the Son of Righteousness and, the, and bears the sheen of his, indulgent, of his effulgence high aloft for all to see and seeing it to glorify his Father which is in him. Grow up, mature, continually mature. Until one of two things happen, there is room for improvement in every one of us. Rapture or death. Until rapture or death, you have not maxed out your room to grow. So let's get more to the title. I used these verses several weeks ago on a Thursday night in one of our in, in the split congregation service. I'd like to use them again tonight in a different context. In Genesis 2 and 7, the Bible says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Who planted the garden? God planted the garden. God planted the garden. Adam didn't create the garden. Adam didn't form the garden. Context of a couple of weeks ago is, I think for every single one of us, and many of you already know this and you already have this, but in case somebody tonight's questioning a little bit, I believe that for every one of us, God has created a garden. An individual garden to put us in. That's for us. Not something we have to eke out, not something we have to create for ourselves, but it is God created that He forms for us, puts us in, and then as He did with Adam, the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. He put him in the garden to do two things, dress it and keep it. The words dress it come from the Hebrew word which means to work, to serve, to labor, to work, to do work, to work for another, to serve another by labor, to be worked, to be tilled of land, to make oneself a servant. So the dressing it is the caring of it. It is the gardening that, that causes it to be healthy and to grow and to prosper and and it's the dealing with the weeds and it's the it's the things that are necessary to bring about the health. He wanted Adam to dress it, work it, 
till it, toil, serve. And then to keep it means to guard, to observe, to give heed, to have charge of, to keep watch and ward, to protect, to save life, watch. A watchman to watch for, wait for, to treasure up, to keep, to restrain, to preserve, to protect, to be one's guard, to take heed, to take care, to beware, to keep oneself, to refrain, to abstain. And so he gave Adam two instructions. I want you to dress it and I want you to keep it. So I want you to serve it. I want you to do what is necessary to bring about health and and cause it to be everything that it can be. And then I want you to protect it. Things that might try to get in to destroy it and mess it up. I want you to keep those things out. Amen, just to let me know somebody's here. My Lord. We're listening, Brother Wright. Okay. And amen lets me know that. My name is David, not Chester. (laughs) I enjoy feedback. Amplified says it this way, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend, guard, and keep it. Message Bible, God took the man and sent him down in the garden, set him down in the Garden of Eden to work the ground and keep it in order. I I am giving you something, Adam, that I expect you to take care of. No matter what you find yourself doing, no matter what other responsibilities you take on, I am expecting you to dress and keep what I am bestowing on you, what I am entrusting to you. Now, hopefully you can see this in a way that my the answer is obvious. What do you have to do to get a yard like that? I heard the answer I was looking for. One word. Nothing. Nothing. I, I, that, that picture caught my eye when I, when I was searching for a picture because that's a, that's a nice looking house. I, I, I mean, from what I can tell of that house, most of us tonight be happy to live in that house. But the yard. To get that yard, you got to do one thing. Nothing. Oh, gee, please, please. I know he that endures to the end shall be saved. But please don't turn me off and just endure to the end tonight. I, I, I've come with a challenge tonight for some folks, for all of us really. To get that, you do nothing. Some of us want to get so caught up in all kinds of other things, and if we could get a spiritual glimpse, that's what some gardens here tonight look like. That's what some yards here tonight look like. You're off somewhere else doing all kinds of other stuff, but at home, and yeah, I'm going to get literal tonight, at home, that's what it looks like right there. I've come to challenge you tonight. There's some folks that got a garden and you need to wake up and take care of it. This is one of those nights where I'm going 
Listen, if you think every preacher only preaches what he does well, you are crazy. And if you think that's hypocrisy, then you're not looking at the heart. It's only hypocrisy when I am willfully choosing to disregard what I teach and preach. But when I am impressed by God to teach or preach something that I may not have down, I can't disregard it because I don't have it all down. I preach to myself in my 20 plus years of ministry as much as I preach to anybody else. Sometimes it feels like there's a floor-length mirror 10 feet tall and 6 feet wide in front of me and all I can see is me. So I'm not here tonight because I've got this all worked out in my own life. I'm, I'm sharing with you what God is challenging me with as well. But I'm pretty confident this isn't one of those things. It's just for me to work out myself. All I got to do is nothing. Don't tend it and don't guard it. And it's going to take care of itself. I know I've used this before. Forgive me for using it again. It drives me nuts. The things that I want to grow in my yard I have the most trouble getting them to grow and the things I don't want take care of themselves. I, I know, I, I, try, I try, I need to, I need to work harder on casting my cares. Cause every time I walk through my yard, I got some cares to cast. I look at some of my neighbors and I'm like, they don't care. I wish I could learn not to care. I can't help it. At least I don't think I can. Maybe I need to go to one of those self-help groups or something. Maybe I can get help. There are things that grow all by themselves. And then there are things that if you want them to grow, you've got to work it. So it is spiritually. Spiritually do nothing and that's what you get. If you want a healthy yard, if you want a beautiful lawn, you've got to work at it. It doesn't come accidentally. It doesn't come by default. You've got to work it. You've got to tend it and you've got to guard it. You've got to keep it. So I, I've come tonight. There are three basic areas that I feel to challenge you with tonight. And I realize two of these, some of you... They don't apply to. The bottom line is the first one applies to every one of us in this place tonight. The first garden that you and I need to keep is our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I know it's Thursday night. I know who I'm talking to. I know where I am. But I also know if we're not careful, we don't grow up. Any of you ever looked at some of your teenage kids or young adult kids? I'm starting to get into that area now and look at them and go, what, what are you thinking? You know better. We've been over this before. I'd really need an amen right now because I need to know I'm not alone. No different spiritually speaking. 
Doesn't matter how much you heard, that doesn't mean you're applying. Is it any wonder the scripture took the time to tell us, don't just be hearers of the word? I mean, we, we had to be told, don't just be hearers, but be doers. We know a whole lot more than what we do. So let's talk about the first one. Luke eight fourteen. This is the parable. One of the places where the parable of the seed and the four types of ground is talked about. I'm going to come back to it, I think, in a minute, but I'm going to go ahead and say it now. The majority of the time I have heard this parable applies to sinners. It's about sinners. I don't think that's the first and foremost application. I'm not saying it doesn't, can't be applied to sinners, but the context of what Jesus was saying, these verses are not first and foremost to sinners. And the reason is because I think it's verse 19 of this chapter. He says to the disciples who he is now talking to them in a more intimate setting, they have said, what's it mean? He's now talking to them and he says to them, not sinners, not the crowd, not, not an evangelistic effort. He says to the follow his followers, be careful. How you hear. He wasn't telling the disciples, listen, when you go out evangelizing, this is how they hear. He said, you be careful how you hear. I taught it a year or two ago, went through each one of these types of ground, and I think these are phases that we as believers go through, and perhaps not just once and we're done, but we can cycle back through some of them and need to deal with them, because basically each one of these types of ground, you can deal with it, and it can become productive. So he says, that which fell among thorns are they, which when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Amplified says it this way, as for what fell among the thorns, these are the people who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked and suffocated with anxieties and cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not ripen, come to maturity and perfection. The message Bible and the seed that fell in the wood and the weeds. Well, these are the ones who hear, but then the seed is crowded out and nothing comes of it as they go about their lives, worrying about tomorrow, making money and having fun. Lastly, the New Living Translation, the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and so they never grow into maturity. And it is my personal opinion that this is the phase that most of us live in. How 
How many times have you gone to church? I know I have numerous times, and I've heard a message preached. I've heard a word from God, and in that moment, my heart is open, my spirit is open, and I'm so, yes, this is awesome, this is fantastic, and I get out of here, and in a matter of minutes, hours, or a couple of days, the word that was so good has done nothing. Because cares, riches, pleasures have choked it out. Life got in the way. Weeds started growing. Things started rising up that I didn't recognize and deal with. I didn't tend and keep. And what was sown into my life that had such amazing potential of producing something of eternal value never comes to maturity. Never fully comes to maturity. Is there a chance that part of the reason it does not do that is because we are not guarding and keeping Sorry, I'm stuck on it, but I think it's all intended for spiritual things. I'm kind of, I've just spent my last several weeks trying once again. I've pretty much come to the conclusion my yard is going to look pretty good from about October until about late June. And then from June through the end of August, it's going to just die. Then I'm going to start up again. Do what I did every month, or what I've done the last number of years. You put that seed in the ground. It takes about 14 days of watering every day. I experimented a couple of years ago. Maybe it's not really necessary to water it every day. Gave it a try. What a waste of money. I, I, if I understood someone the other day, I, somebody told me something along these lines. I had the worst looking yard for the amount of effort and work put into it. <laughs> they were giving me a hard time. They weren't being me. I think that's what I've heard. If that's not what I heard, you can correct me later. You know who you are. <laughs> it's work. Unless you got 10 grand to sink into an irrigation system. It's work. A lot of work, right, brother? Five grand? Yeah. He works landscaping. He knows. My, my point is to get, I, I actually, Esther had a birthday party a couple of weeks ago, and it was the weekend when I had just had everything raked up and, 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 and the ground roughed up and had just, just getting, I actually hadn't, I sowed the seed that afternoon after the party, and I just saw a picture today, I was downloading pictures off my phone, and I saw a picture, and the backyard was dirt, it was dirt. Nasty dirt, just dirt. And they were doing activities out there, kids out there in the dirt, the backyard, the dirt. 
you're not busy tomorrow afternoon, come stop by. I'll give you some, some Kool-Aid. Not Jimmy Jones Kool-Aid, my Kool-Aid. We'll sit out on the back deck and you can check out my yard. Because right now, today, <laughs> it's green. Night and day difference. It took work. Oh God, how many times do we come to church, we sit in a service, and the seed that has the potential to produce is sown in life after life after life. But we leave and we do nothing. And so it doesn't come to maturity. Is it any wonder some of these things were prayed? Psalms 139.23 Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. You know how many people that have ended up spiritually shipwrecked that once they're in that condition look back and say, I have no idea how I got here. You, you don't fall into gross sin, into, into, I'm trying to, what's the best way to say it? I wouldn't say major sin, but sin is sin. But uh, you, you know what I mean. <laughs> you, 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 don't, you don't become addicted to pornography overnight. You don't commit adultery overnight. You don't become addicted to other things overnight. It started somewhere with a little crack. It started somewhere with a little bit of crabgrass. That you looked at the rest of the lawn and everything else was pretty green. And so you decide, you know what? Until next thing you know, it spread so it's no wonder the psalmist says, God, I want you to search me because you will see stuff in me that I don't see. And I may miss it now, and if I miss it now, it might become something down the road that I can't deal with. But if you'll deal with it now, it won't be able to choke out the seed of the Word. Psalm 26 and 1, Judge me, O Lord. For I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. Job 31 and 5, I have walked with vanity, or if, if I have walked with vanity, or if my foot hath hasted to deceit, let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know mine integrity. You know, the Bible is full, Old Testament and New Testament, of men and women that accomplished amazing things. Hebrews tells us about a bunch of them in chapter 11 that they accomplished it through faith. Stopped the mouths of lions and dead raised and victories and all kinds of miraculous things by faith. Slayed giants, 
marched around walled cities and watched them fall, stood with a rod by a, by a sea and watched water part and an entire nation of people walk through on dry ground. But every one of those people died. They all died. Accomplished some great things, but they all died. There's two men, one, I'm assuming it's typology from the best I can find out with him. But there's only one other man the Bible says didn't see death. And he had this testimony. He walked. He didn't run. Didn't fly. No giants knocked down. No miraculous whatevers. He just simply guarded and tended what had been given to him. And when he got to 365 years, God said, enough. You've been faithful to guard and tend what I've given you. Let me tell you something, folks. You can indulge yourself in all kinds of spiritual things. Spiritual things. You can get all kinds of revelations and all kinds of great deep revelations and have an overgrown garden. You can get all, you can soar in the heavenlies and not know how to just simply walk. God's given every one of us the invitation and the responsibility of a relationship with Him that we need to tend, we need to guard, we need to keep. We don't need to get so caught up in ministry, so caught up in taking care of other people's vineyards that we fail to realize I have been given something by God. He has placed me in it and it's my responsibility to keep it. No one else can have a relationship with God for me. Point all the fingers you want to point at everybody else for all kind of things that are going wrong in your life. There's only one person that can do anything about the rela a relationship with God, and that's you. You can't create my relationship with God and you can't destroy my relationship with God. If I have one, it's because I guard it and I keep it, I tend it. If I don't have one, it's because I neglect it. Enough of that. Although this is where I think I would like to stay. I realize there's some of you this does not apply to. Some of you it will in the future. So why don't you open your heart and let something start growing in advance. Colossians 3:18 Wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord Husbands love your wives and be not bitter against them What Wives be subject to your husbands subordinate and adapt yourselves to them Adapt yourselves to them Adapt yourselves to them Wives adapt yourselves to your husbands That probably means to adapt yourself to us, you got to come down a few levels.
I've got, listen, I'm going I'm to I'm challenge, but also I'm going to try to help a little bit. Can I tell some of you wives, you do not have a defective husband. You did not get him from the outlets because there was some kind of defect in him. And you might as well accept that some of the stuff you've got such an issue about him with is just stuff that's the norm. You gotta adapt. We, we've been through, we, we, this last couple of years, I think we've, I think my wife and I have done more growing the last couple of years than we've done in 22 years. We've got some situations, I'm, I'm trying to help somebody here tonight, okay? We've got a couple situations recently where she, you know, she, she is so kind and does it in a very kind, respectful way to let me know what she needs in certain moments. And I'm sitting there listening. I got it. All right. That's what you need in this moment. When this happens, this is what you need me to do. When that happens, this is what you need me to do. We get in those moments. I find out after the fact that was it. That was that was what we talked about the other day. That was when I was supposed to I see that now. It's over with. It's too late to do it, but it's Monday morning. I'm watching tape from Sunday. Ladies, adapt. We, we don't have the same intuitiveness you do. You're stereotyping. No, I'm not stereo. I know we're not all exactly the same, but we, God wired us with some similarities. Adapt. Adapt. Subordinate and adapt. He ain't broke. You got your stuff just like he does. I know you don't think so. I heard some silent amens on that one. From some brothers, I felt you. You weren't going to say it, but. Husbands, love your wives. Be affectionate and sympathetic with them. Uh, that's all, I, I grant you ladies, you can say it, that's all right. Do not be harsh or bitter or resentful toward them. We were in a situation the other day and. Angie made a point that I thought was an extremely profound point, and this is the first time I'm telling her I thought it was a profound point. <laughs> she probably didn't even know I was listening because I never said anything, right? <laughs> the first couple of years that you're married, I'm giving credit to where credit is due, the first couple of years you're married, you're past, how many months now? 
four, five, six, somewhere in there. I know I'm putting you, that's all right, I'm putting you on the spot. Just a couple of months now, your past, their past, married in May, right, into May, their past is separate. He's dealing with stuff from his past that has nothing to do with her. She's bringing stuff from her past that has nothing to do with him. It really was, now you know. I wrote it down in my iPad. <laughs> 24 and a half years into it, our past is now connected. So when they deal with their past, and, some, and those of you like them, it's not about each other. We're not dealing with our past, and my past is her. And her past is me. So I think that's probably part of the context of when Peter says, this is Peter, right? <laughs> be affectionate and sympathetic with them and do not be harsh or bitter or resentful towards them. And I know he's talking to the husbands, but vice versa. You've accumulated past with each other if you've been married years and decades. And that's why 20 and 30 years into a marriage, two people can look at each other and say, you know what, I'm done because you're a part of my past and I'm bitter towards you. And the best way I can think to deal with my bitterness is just walk away from you. Your garden wouldn't have gotten that overgrown if 10, 15, 20 years ago you would have started looking around going, you know what, we got some stuff in the flower bed that don't belong there. But you know what, we get caught up off in the heavenlies. Help me, Jesus. We get all caught up in our spiritual things and overlook some gardens. We want to get, I, I, I say this in the fear of God and with all respect, but we want to get all caught up in what's coming next week. And you're going to be here 7 p.m. on Monday night praying your guts out and you and your wife can't even talk to each other civilly. And you can't even stand each other. And you're going to come in here and pull down strongholds? I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. L listen, listen. For those of us that are married and so spiritual, that wasn't, sorry, that wasn't Peter, that was Colossians. I can't even remember where the verse is when I got it in my notes, much less memorize it. I'm supposed to laugh, make me feel a little bit better before I hit you again. <laughs> First Peter three five for all, for after this manner in the old time the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. They adorned themselves with submission, is what he's saying. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, not interested in that, not looking for that, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well and are not afraid 
with any amazement. Likewise, here it is, likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life. Why? That your prayers be not hindered. In the same way you married men should live considerately with your wives with an intelligent recognition of the marriage relation. Honoring the woman as physically the weaker, but realizing that you are joint heirs of the grace of God's unmerited favor of life. In order that your prayers may not be hindered and cut off. Otherwise, you cannot pray effectively. Hello? If I get what he's saying here, what he's saying is, you don't need to go pray when you got stuff going on with your spouse that you haven't dealt with because that's going to affect and hinder your prayers. No, you go pray and nothing happens. You just want to blame it all on the devil. I've heard this one many times. Well, it's that time of year. i.e. call to war. And we all know that when we get into call to war, that's the devil fights us. What about January when things were exactly the same in your life as they are now? Otherwise, you cannot pray Effectively, and I don't think he's just talking to the husbands. I think it applies to you ladies as well. If there's stuff between you and your mate, your prayers are hindered. I don't know if I'm in the Holy Ghost or I'm just in the flesh. Whichever it is, I'm going to step out even farther in it. Some of you need to get some stuff straightened out before Sunday night. No, I granted, you can't turn around the mess. Oh, I shouldn't say it that way. Whoa. You can't undo years and years of junk in a weekend. But I suggest you, you know, when you repent, it doesn't change every circumstance, but it is a choice to say, we're changing what we're doing. I'm changing how I'm living and I'm going differently. So between now and Sunday night, some of you need to go get a rake and, and a shovel and some, some, We'd be gone or some ortho or something and you need to deal with some gardens and get some stuff cleaned out. Otherwise, you're going to try to bring down spiritual strongholds and if the Word of God holds true, it can't happen. Because you're driving through a, down a driveway like the house I showed you. Well, let me just get past the driveway because once I get past the driveway, I can forget about everything that's overgrown in my life. Oh, Jesus. Let me rush off to somebody else's house that is, they've taken care of and is neatly manicured and I'll benefit by their hard work while I leave my mess, my house in a mess. Oh, my goodness. Listen, listen to some of what Barnes says about this verse. That way you can get mad at him, not me. 
It is implied that there might be such a way of living as effectively to hinder prayer. That is, to prevent its being offered a right and to prevent any answer. This might occur in many ways. If the husband treated the wife unkindly, if he did not show her proper respect and affection, if there were bickerings and jealousies and contentions between them, there could be no hope that acceptable prayer would be offered. Oh, Jesus. A spirit of strife, irritability, and unevenness of temper, harsh looks and unkind words, a disposition easily to take offense, and an unwillingness to forgive, all these prevent a return of prayers. Acceptable prayer never can be offered in the tempest of passion, and there can be no doubt that such prayer is often hindered by the inequalities of temper and the bickerings and strife that exist in families. Yet how desirable is it that husband and wife should so live together that their prayers may not be hindered? How desirable for their own peace and happiness in that, re- in, the, in that relation. How desirable for the welfare of children in view of the exposition of this verse, we may remark, Christianity makes a happy home. You know what? I didn't get a bunch of amens and I appreciate not getting a bunch of amens. And I mean that sincerely, not sarcastically, because I'm not sure how true that is. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm not here tonight to be whatever. We got enough junk to going on in the world for me to just be negative. I, I'm, I'm not trying to be negative. I've come to hopefully wake a few people up tonight. There's some stuff you've written off as, as acceptable and okay that's not acceptable and okay. Christianity should, let's, let me, let me add, let me, let me add that in there. Christianity should make a happy home. Let the principles reign in any family which are here enjoined by the apostle. And that family will be one of intelligence, contentment, and peace. There is a simple and easy way of being happy in the family relation. It is to allow the Spirit of Christ and His gospel to reign there. That done, though there, that done, though there be poverty and disappointment and sickness and cares and losses, yet there will be peace within. For there will be mutual love and the cheerful hope of a brighter world. Where is Where that is missing, no outward splendor, no costly furniture or viands, no gilded equipage, no long train of servants, no wine or music or dances can secure happiness in a dwelling. With all these things, there may be most corroding passions in the mansion where these things are. Pale disease, disappointment, and death may come, and there shall be nothing to console and support. It is not the will of God for you to sit in a church service and experience the power and the presence of God and get a touch from God, and then by the time you get to your car, you are dreading the fact that you got to go home. I wish I was just speaking in... in uh, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Not hyperbole, but figuratively. I wish. I wish I was. Some of you come to church because it's your escape. 
It's where you can get a little bit of peace and a little bit of relief. And on one hand, that's wonderful. That's kind of great. But on the other hand, that's really sad that if you're living in a home where two people are supposed to be married, two people are supposed to be godly. Oh, Jesus. Let me, let, me, let me do something. I didn't intend to do this. All of you folks that were at Young Marriage a couple of weeks ago, I excuse you from this. If you're married, I, I want you to join with me right now, okay? Everybody that's married, ready? Say this with me. We need help. Do that again. We need help. How hard was that? Except the truth of the matter is there's some of you that just said that here right now, but you won't say that to anybody else. Oh, Jesus I'm going to try to be done by the bewitching hour. I promise you, I want to be done by then. <laughs> you just said it here, but you're too proud to say it to somebody else. You're too proud to go to your elder and say, we need help. If you're married, at some point, you should have said, if you only got a couple months into it, we'll give you a pass. But if you've been in it very long, at some point, you should have told somebody, we need help. But we don't do it because we're too proud. We don't want somebody to know what's really going on. Ah, uh, brother, right? You're just putting me. You just you're just. I I I'm not going to show you who, but I I, I if, if you really really don't believe me, I I can show you voicemail, because I said, we need help. Because I made up my mind if I can say we need help when it's not a tragedy or an emergency. We can avoid getting to that. There's nothing wrong right here. Some of y'all just went down the wrong road. Oh, my God. No, in fact, not. But I'm telling you what I've done, what I did a couple of weeks ago, and actually what I sort of got back as a response was, I think, I may have misunderstood, but I don't think we do right now. Okay. Well, I just wanted to make sure. Didn't want this thing riding on me. Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm going to move on in a minute. <laughs> Brother Libby, some of you have heard about it, some of you haven't. The spearhead behind an effort in the United Pentecostal Church is called Points of Refuge. Points of Refuge is a resource for licensed ministers. The whole deal that's set up, you can call, there's people you can call to talk to if you need help. They get countless calls from preachers, pastors, ministers, spouses saying, we need help. Unfortunately, I can't, some of you have had the same experience. Thank God I have not done a whole lot of marriage counseling throughout my ministry, but I've done a little bit 
My experience is most of the time, by the time somebody sits down in your office to say, we need help, usually what they add on there is, if you don't help us, we're done. My thought is, you're probably done. Because you should have been right here a long time ago. Thank God, several of those situations, God worked out. I wonder how long somebody just kept overlooking. I, 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 I don't want to get into this because I, I want to look into it at some point in the future in some setting. I was communicating with Brother Trombley about some stuff recently, and, and he, he was sharing some things with me. And, and, and I, I don't want to get, get into the specifics and give that away because somebody might go steal, although I'm stealing a little bit of it from him. But I'm telling you I'm stealing some of it from him. So. But there, there's something that really got my attention. There's a situation in Scripture, but it was where, I could say it this way, a man of God potentially deserved some judgment, but God spared him. But God's sparing of him was not an approval of what he had done. There was another purpose, there was another motive. And it's a dangerous thing when you and I, especially when we are involved in ministry, when we start tolerating things in our life and God doesn't seem to judge us for them and we start to take that as God's okay with it. It could very well be there's another motive behind God not dealing with you the way you deserve. And the bottom line is it might not really be about you. He might be tolerating some stuff in you as long as it's kind of hidden because he's trying to help somebody else. I got a feeling the rest of the preachers in this room tonight would agree with me. I continually remind myself, it don't matter how great I preached if I preached great. That is no indicator that God was looking down on me tonight, putting a stamp of approval on my life. Because there's been a lot of times I've stood over there and said, God, I don't deserve this today, but for their sake. If you got to deal with me, deal with me someplace else. But there's people here that need something from you. They need to hear from you. So I'm not asking you to make me justified here or whatever, but for their sake, do something for them. And you got to deal with me, deal with me. <laughs> Last field, I'll make this one quick, I think. I'll try. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Message Bible says it this way, Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the Master. Living Bible, and now a word to you parents, don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather, bring them up with the loving discipline the Lord Himself approves with suggestions and godly advice. Dear God, don't be off taking care of everybody else's yard and neglect the ones that you are directly responsible for bringing into this world. God comes first. 
ministry doesn't come second. There's a lot of lost souls today because they came up in homes where ministry was put second to God. God, family, ministry. The problem is, I ought to give my wife the microphone because she does a good job of getting this point across. The problem is, too often, we make God and ministry synonymous. They are one and the same to us. My family never comes before God. Never. But that doesn't mean I let ministry take the place of my family. Yeah, there's a few times, and I can think of, there was some times growing up where my parents had to put aside family for a, for a, for a period because there were some emergencies. It's not the will of God for you to invest yourself so much in the kingdom that the garden of your family and your kids are overgrown with all kind of weeds and junk. It's a whole lot easier to lead the way by example than it is to point the way when you're not doing it. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother shame. Living Bible says, to discipline a child produces wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. We're not supposed to reach the world at the expense, at the sacrifice of those that God has entrusted to us. Oh, Hallelujah. Nothing comes ahead of God in my life. Nothing. Nothing. No one. And we'll say it again. God and ministry are not one and the same. Our problem is too many times we get our validation from our ministry and what we do. And we neglect what we struggle at, what we fail at, and we invest ourselves in what we seem to have some degree of success in. You know what, I've said this in various settings, one-on-one -on -one settings. I've said it in different marriage settings. I, I really am of the opinion, I, I, I'm sure in some ways there are some advantages if you came from a, a good home, a good home. But in a lot of ways, it really doesn't matter if you came from a good home or a bad home. Because you've got to figure out what your home is. I have grown up all my life watching two people as my parents that from my perspective have a wonderful relationship. Great husband and a great wife. And I, I spent the first couple of years, I think, of my marriage assuming we would just be clones of them. It didn't work. We had to figure out who we were. Some of you come from situations where you had you didn't have a good example of parent, what parent was or what a husband and wife was. You think you're completely disadvantaged. Some ways you got a clean slate. 
for God to write on you what He wants. Uh, I know some of you, you, you don't quite like that. You'd rather have a chip on your shoulder. The bottom line is, it is the will of God, whether as husband and wife, for those of you that fit that, or as parents, for those of you that fit that, that we tend and keep those gardens to see them become the best that each one of them can be. And it is not the will of God to neglect them for the sake of the kingdom. And just in case all of you kids, young and older, think you're off the hook, let me just get you real quick when I close. Children, obey your parents. I just made a word up. That's not accidental. I made it up. I know that's not a word. I made it up. Parenting and childrening. Childrening is what all of you are doing that are not married and especially living at home. You are childrening. Listen, if every noun can be a verb or a verb be a noun, I can make up childrening. So just for all of you English experts that are twitching when you saw that, he didn't edit his slides. I did. I saw the red line and I ignored the red line. <laughs> Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on earth. If you're rebellious, if you're disrespectful to your parents, if you're constantly being a headache to them, you've got a garden that needs some work. Because you've got just as much responsibility to work to be a good child, young or old, as your parents do to be good parents. I really think it's kind of late. I wish I'd have thought of this and started this years ago. I think we ought to have children seminars like we have parents seminars. We're telling parents how to be parents. Let's tell kids how to be kids. If you'd be a better kid, I'd be a better parent. We always put it on the parents, but you know what? You could be a little less of a headache sometimes. I'm not talking about my four. They're all wonderful. They're... I, I, I mean it with all sincerity. I'm quitting. I'm done. Let's see what... Oh, Verizon says I have two minutes. I, I, you know, it's, this is nothing new for me. This is nothing. You've been around here. You know this is nothing new for me. <laughs> I believe in all the spiritual stuff. I believe in angels and demons. I believe in spiritual warfare. I believe in principalities and powers. I believe in miracles, signs and wonders. I believe in casting out devils. I believe in all of those things with all of my heart. But I'm very concerned that we often master those things and miserably fail at simply keeping and guarding Tending and guarding, dressing and keeping what God has entrusted to us to do on a daily basis. And it's from the very beginning of time, before He, before he 
all kinds of other things that were so wonderful and great started happening. God said, Adam, I'm putting you in the garden and here's what I want you to do. And if you go read, if you go look up the word, um, I forget the specific word, I, I, how it says it, but there's, there's a word that's used there in that passage, man or mankind, I forget. If you look up that word, that word there is not gender specific. It was actually a generic word where he was talking about mankind. So both may I think there was a principle established from the very beginning when God created a garden and put Adam in it, that for mankind, male and female, there are, there are things that I'm going to create and then put you in, and I expect you to take care of it. To not get so caught up in all kinds of other things that you neglect some of the very basic things that I have entrusted you with. Father... I pray that you would help us tonight. God, that in the midst of all of our spiritual pursuits and our spiritual efforts, things that we are striving for individually, things that we are striving for as a church body, that you would bring us back to the need that we have in each one of our lives to dress and keep what you have entrusted to our care. God, I don't want to be viewed as some great preacher, some great pastor. But then when it comes to my role as a husband, my garden is a mess. Or my role as a father, my garden is a disaster. God, I want to dress and keep what you have entrusted into my care. And I pray that you would help every one of us tonight. God, there are some situations in this room tonight that are in need of your intervention beyond just normal maintenance. There's some, there's some situations, God, that are in need of you. And I pray that you would intervene, that you would help us reach the point, God, that we would decide that whatever it takes, we're going to, we're going to be the gardeners of the things you've entrusted us with. First and foremost, our relationship with you. The cares of this life, the things of this world, we're not going to allow them to choke out the seed that's been planted that is intended to come to maturity and produce fruit. The other things, God, in our lives that you have entrusted us with, perhaps some tonight, some things that I haven't touched on that are just as much a part of this, that you would help us in every one of those areas, God, to fulfill the instruction you gave Adam of dressing and keeping what you have entrusted to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I pray you have a blessed remainder of your week. In Jesus' name.